ओनो मित्रुण सन्नोवत्मांद्रो बृहस्पति सन्नो विष्णुक्रम नमो ब्रह्मणे नमस्ते वायमे प्रत्यक्ष ब्रह्मसी प्रत्यक्ष ब्रह्म वदिष्यामि रतम वदिष्यामि सत्यम वदिष्यामि तन्मामवतु तद्वक्तारमवतु अवतु माम अवतु वक्तारम ओम शांति 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 सहनावतो सहनोन सह वीर वह तेजस्वीतमस्तु मद्विषा वह ओ शाशाशाशा ओ छंदो विश्व छंदोभ्योध्यमृताभूव समेन्द्र मेधयाणत अमृत देवधारण भूयास शरीर मे विचर्षण मे मधुमत्म कर्णाभ्यां भूरी विश्रुव ब्रह्मण कोशोसी मेधया पिता श्रुत मे गोपाय ओ शाशाशाशा ओ अहम वृक्ष कीर्ति पृष्ठंगिरेव ऊर्धपवित्रवाजिनी वस्वृतमस्मे द्रविण गुंसवर्चस सुमेधा अमृत क्षिशंकोर्वेदाचनम
ವ್ಯೋಮವ್ಯಾಪ್ತೇಹಾ ದಕ್ಷಿಣಾಮೂರ್ತ ಅಖಂಡ ಸಚ್ಚಿದ ಅಖಂಡ ಸಚ್ಚಿದ ಅವಾಂಗಮನಸೋಚರ ಅವಾಂಗಮನಸೋಚರ ಆತ್ಮನಖಿಲಾಧಾರ ಆತ್ಮನಖಿಲಾಧಾರ ಆಶ್ರೀಷ್ಟಸಿಧೇ ಆಶ್ರೀಷ್ಟಸಿಧೇ ಅರ್ಥತೋಪ್ಯದ್ವಯನಂದನ್ ಅರ್ಥತೋಪ್ಯದ್ವಯನಂದನ್ ಅತೀತದ್ವೈತಭಾನತ ಅತೀತದ್ವೈತಭಾನತ ಗುರುನಾರಾಧ್ಯ ವೇದಾಂತ ಗುರುನಾರಾಧ್ಯ ವೇದಾಂತ ಸಾರಂ ವಕ್ಷೇಯಥಾಮೇ ಸಾರಂ ಪ್ರಪನ್ನಜನಕ್ಲೇಶಾತ್ರೋಸ್ಟ್ with his heart scorched by the fire of samsara like a man whose head is on fire and who is running for a pool of cool water and so also the student here has approached the teacher with his heart burning or scorched from the fire of samsara fire of the misery fire of the repeated birth and death and wants to cool down and when the teacher sees the student really grieving prapannajana klesha darshana jada karunaya and sees also that the student now this the seeker has surrendered to himself taken his refuge then it becomes his almost duty to take care of him so dadyad abhitim sahasa mahatma says vivek chudamani then that when a student like the approaches dadyad abhitim sahasa mahatma that mahatma the great teacher should give him should relieve him of his fear so should give him immunity from fear as though and so it is a student who is able to invoke that compassion out of the teacher and as prompted by the compassion the teacher imparts the teaching <coughs> the teacher almost loses his own freedom to do or not to do something because there is no freedom as sometimes swami says you know there is one thing i cannot manage and that is my compassion can't manage that because compassion takes over can manage everything else but compassion takes over me swami says anyway this is how the teacher teaches shrotriyo vrijano kamhatoyo brahmavittamah brahmanya prachantah nirindhana ivanah ahetuka dayasindhu vivekachodamani says how is the teacher ahetuka dayasindhu he is like ocean of compassion compassion for what ahetuka for no reason at all so this great teachers exhibit they are like oceans of compassion for no reason at all that compassion is there bandurana matam satam he is a banduhu he is a friend or he is he is the intimate uh, you know friend let us say anamatam satam of the good people who approach him 
who surrendered to him, he is the brother, he is a great friend. Eta Deva Daya, what does he do? How does his Daya or the compassion, how does he express itself? Eta Deva Daya Lakshanam, Yad Vinayajana Buddhivardhanam. So this is the nature of the one who is compassionate, that he wants to impart knowledge. Our, even in compassion also, he wants to make the, the student independent, in the sense that buddhivardhanam. He wants the student to see, to learn and to grow. That is the real compassion of the teacher. Not merely the teacher takes care of you and looks after you and keeps you where you are, but the real compassion is that he makes you grow. Yad vinayajana buddhivardhanam. Buddhivardhanam, the growth in buddhi or the knowledge or wisdom or maturity of vinayajana, of the one who has surrendered to him. So this is the uh, way the teachers respond to the students. And this is what we find in the Upanishads again and again. As we said, when sage Narada approaches Sanat Kumara, tasma edat provacha yad vetatenama upasida tadahate urdhum vakshami. When Narada approaches with a request, O revered sir, please give me impart the knowledge of Brahman. Then immediately Sanat Kumara says, whatever you know, first of all, you approach me and report to me of what all you know. And afterwards, I'll tell you that which you do not know. Let me first understand what is it that you know. And later on, I will give you the teach, impart you the teaching. And this is how the teachers respond to the students. And this is what is said here. The Upanishad also says, this text also quotes from the Upanishad, Tasmai Savidvan Upasannaya Samyak Prashanda Sitta Shamanvitaya that the one who is who has a quiet mind, one is self-controlled, and one who approaches the teacher properly to such a disciple, such a student. The teacher must impart the knowledge of that by which one comes to know Brahman, which is reality. <coughs> and Adhyarob Apavada Nyaya. Important is, what's the method of teaching? Adhyarob Apavada Nyaya. <coughs> Adhyarob Superimposition. Apavada negation or falsification. This is a this is a method that the Vedantic teachers employ, the Upanishad employs. Adhyaropapavadabhyam nishprapancham prapanchade. In fact, Brahman cannot be described in words, and there is no way really to describe Brahman or the reality because there is nothing like it. Even if you give any number of illustrations, no illustration can really match the reality. If an illustration or a model can completely describe reality, then that model itself becomes reality. It cannot. And therefore, there is no experience that we have, there is nothing that we have really that can enable us to see this. And still the teachers do that. Teachers still enfold this knowledge with the help of the words. And for unfolding the knowledge, they employ this unique method known as Adhyaropa Apavada. Adhyaropa means superimposition. Meaning thereby that superimposition is a fact that occurs. Superimposition or dharava is that which at the moment we are experiencing or that which we are doing. In fact, the whole universe is in a dharava superimposition. Upon what? Upon Brahma. Just as the whole dream world is a dharava or superimposition upon myself, and so also the whole universe is a superimposition upon Brahma. Brahma is one without a second, that's the reality. One without a second, limitless, complete, full. 
There is no duality at all. There is no scope for duality in Brahma. In limitless or complete, there is no scope even for desire. In fact, we can't even explain why the creation is. Why should there be creation? Why should God create this world? You say that God is limitless, He is complete, He is full in every way. Why should He create the world? For creation, there must be a desire. Any kind of a creation or any kind of an action is always preceded by a desire. And a desire always assumes a certain purpose. So, has God a certain purpose to fulfill? And to fulfill that purpose, did He create this world? What purpose does God have to fulfill? Is He, does He desire something? Is He not complete? If God has some purpose to fulfill, that means that He is not fulfilled. And therefore, it just doesn't make sense, really. When you logically think creation or universe does not make sense, if we say that the reality or God is one without a second, and that alone is. And therefore, how do we explain creation? Everybody said that, in fact, there is no creation. This question we would have, we were obliged to answer if the creation were real. But this creation of the universe, even though it appears to be real, is not real. Says Panchadashi, that which is asat, non-existent, not really there, bhasamanam, but appearing to be there, is called mithya, is called unreal. Swapna gajadivat, like the elephants and mountains and various objects which appear in the dream, but they are not really there, and similarly also, what we call the waking world also, in substance it is not there, and still it appears to be so real. Therefore, already there, there has occurred, or already there is what we call a dhyarupa, or superimposition. There is another superimposition also upon the self. Just as this creation of multiplicity or duality is superimposition upon the self. And for superimposition there is no reason. For example, as the author will explain, that to superimpose snake upon the rope, why should you superimpose? No reason at all. That phenomenon is inexplicable, and so also Vedantins will say that the phenomenon of creation is inexplicable, inasmuch as it cannot really be explained why the creation is. What is the need for creation? Why is the creation? It cannot be explained. All we can try to explain is what is the nature of creation? The question why cannot be answered. The question what can be answered when we take a close look at what we call the creation or universe. When we take a close look, then we find that yes, the names and forms and all these tangible things are there. But they start melting away when you really look at it closely. Just as Einstein used to say that this world appears to be solid, all the shapes appear to be very well defined. At the speed at which you are, the observer is. And if you increase the speed of the observer, at the moment the speed of the observer is the same as the speed of the observed and therefore the world appears to be what it does. But if suppose the observer had to be riding some kind of vehicle at a high speed and he was to observe this world, you know how would it appear to him? As the speed of the observer increases, these very solid forms will slowly and slowly lose their solidity. 
and they will slowly start as though melting away. And imagine that the observer now is observing this creation at the speed of light. Suppose he is in some kind of vehicle which moves at the speed of light. Then there will be no form at all. The world will not be there at all. Meaning that the speed of light, the world, there are no forms. The world will not be there means there are no forms. There is no solidity. There will be only energy. And as you decrease the speed, the energy as though solidifies, solidifies, like the vapor solid, melt, you know, condensing into water and solidifying into ice, and so also the energy as though solidifies into what we call a tangible concrete world. From the standpoint of reality, setting aside all the emotion about the world, that the world has done this to me, it has done that to me, it is like this, it is like that, setting all those emotional problems aside, and in this text, when we are doing vichara or inquiry, there are no emotional problems involved. Therefore, this inquiry is possible only for a person who is emotionally mature, meaning one who does not react in any way. An emotionally mature person is supposedly the one who has no reaction whatever. And therefore, any phenomenon can be observed or can be dealt with subject, objectively. Any phenomenon, any event that we call the honor, dishonor, or pleasure, or pain, or comfort, or discomfort, any phenomenon, if one can observe or deal with it totally objectively, without reacting at all, that would be called an emotionally mature person. And then alone we can understand that phenomenon, otherwise we cannot understand. If we react to a phenomenon, either with pleasure or pain, either with grief or elation, then we cannot understand that phenomenon as it is. So when the mind is free from this reaction of grief as well as elation, then alone a thing can be understood for what it is. <coughs> That's what we call emotional maturity. And that is why it is said that this inquiry is most beneficial to the one who enjoys that frame of mind which we call emotional maturity. Then we'll be able to see. Otherwise, we want the world to be something. When emotionally we are involved with the world, then we want the world to be such and such. We don't want these fellows, we don't want these things, and we want that thing. We want it to be like, we don't want it to be like this, we want it to be like this. And when our mind is thus preoccupied with this kind of trying to rearrange this world, then it cannot be objective in terms of seeing the reality of the world. So here, in Vedanta, you will not find any kind of a treatment with reference to what we call the emotional problems, because in the so-called sadhana chaturasya sampattihi, or that four-fold qualification, and particularly shamadi shatka sampattihi, the six-fold qualification beginning from shama, all those emotional problems have been taken care of by the previous one. So that is the subject matter of karma kanda, subject matter of karma yoga. Subject matter of karma yoga is to bring about an emotional maturity. So person is like that. Therefore, now one is able to observe this world, emo I mean, objectively. Then you find that what we call this solid world or tangible world of names and forms and functions is really nothing but a superimposition upon a substratum. And that substratum is Brahman. Therefore, the Vedantic teachers will give you a story, try to explain to you how the world came into being. As the sixth chapter of Chandogya Upanishad said, Sadeva Somya, Idamagrasid, Ekameva Dvitiyam. Hey Somya, oh good looking one, 
the, the teacher addresses the disciple, that idam, this whole universe, which is in front of you, with all the variegated names and forms and its diversities and functions, this whole universe of names and forms before its creation was sat, was pure existence, was Brahman, one without a second. Meaning thereby that the reality of the whole universe is nothing but Brahman. It is not that the universe was Brahman before its creation. The teacher is trying to say that even now also what you call universe is nothing but Brahman. It is like saying that there are these 500 pots and pans here all made of clay and someone were to tell you that all these pots, this whole world of pots and pans was nothing but clay, one without a second before its creation. Then the teacher means to say that even now also it is clay. Even when you call them pots and pans and pitchers and whatever you call them, all the different names you give them, they all have different forms and they have different names and they serve different purposes. And we relate to each one of them definitely, I love this pot and I don't like this pan, etc. So all these kind of things may be there. But as far as the reality of this whole world of pots and pans is concerned, even now also it is nothing but clay. Swami, how can you say that? This pot is nothing but the clay. What you call the pot and pitcher, etc., is nothing but vacharamham. Merely started by the speech, meaning it is only namesake. The reality that the pot has is nothing but that of a name pot. That's all. Mrittika ityeva satyam. In fact, mrittika or clay alone is real. Swamiji, you are trying to say that these pots are nothing but the clay? All right. Take your lump of clay and see how you can fill water in there. How you can bring water with that clay? With this pot we can bring water from one place to another. I can fill water and store the water. All of these things I can do in the pot. I can cook my khichdi. I can do all kinds of things. Can you do all those things with your clay? How can you say that the clay is the same as pot? This is called emotional problem. See, what is an emotional problem? Is this. No, 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 this pot is so nice, you know, I can fill water, I can bring water, I can cook things, it looks so, you know, things like that. My grandmother gave me, and somebody has made it, and I brought it from such and such place. All this kind of relation that we have with the pot, with there is nothing wrong, but that is what we call emotional relation, and that deprives us sometimes of seeing the reality of the pot. Pot is all that you are saying, that yes, it fills water, then in it we can fill water, we can bring water, we can do all kinds of things. It is a beautiful looking pot, it is 500 year old pot, it is an antique piece, and it perhaps will fetch a million dollars and what not. But in spite of all that, the fact remains that it is nothing but clay. That also is a fact. If you appreciate that fact and then appreciate other things about the pot, it will be fine. If you don't lose, your, if you are... Uh, if this idea is clear in your mind that this is clay and then you say the clay is uh, instead of saying a clay pot a swami you say it's, a, it's potty clay it's not a clay pot but it is potty clay meaning clay in the form of a pot so it is clay it is not golden ornament it is ornamenty gold you know not a golden bangle a bangly gold meaning the gold appearing as bangle so sometimes the language also creates misconceptions in our mind. If somehow they had said, you know, that it is potty clay, then clay becomes a substantive and pot becomes adjective. Right now when it is a clay pot, 
the clay becomes adjective and pot becomes substantive. If it is a potty clay, then the pot becomes adjective, clay becomes substantive. And because there is substance, what should we call substance? Which has substance in it. Which has substance? The clay has substance there. When you touch, what do you touch? Clay. When you lift, what do you lift? Clay. When you weigh, what do you weigh? Clay. When you pay for, what do you pay for? Clay. So what is substance? The substantive? Clay. Not pot. So it should be called potty clay. If this was our language, then we would have been very clear. But what do we say? Clay pot. Thinking that pot is substantive, it is a substance and clay is adjective. See this? How the... Uh, Sometimes when the usage in the language also creates misconceptions in our mind. If it is potty clay, then you ask yourself, what is clay? Clay earth? Earth appearing as clay. What is earth? Uh, earthy atoms or something like that, you know. What is, you know, and then what is atoms? Atomic particles. And particulate energy. And energized Brahman, you know. This is how you will go back to the ultimate substance or substantive. If you are clear about what is substance and what is adjective, then it's fine. Nobody says that when you call a pot a clay, that you are rejecting the pot, that you will break the pot, you will not use the pot. Nobody says that. Go ahead and enjoy the pot. Go ahead and enjoy the form. Go ahead and do what you want to do with it. But don't forget that it is clay. So that when the pot breaks, your heart should not break. Knowing fully well that the clay is not broken. Nothing can happen to the truth. satyam. And this the teacher wants to show that what we call part is really, it enjoys the reality, nothing more than a name part. And that is called superimposition. Superimposition is purely at the level of mind. Projection is purely at the level of mind. And therefore, just as a dream is purely a projection of the mind, what we call a part also is a projection of the mind, and that is called superimposition. Just as a snake is a purely a projection upon the rope, there is no reality in the snake at all, and similarly also there is no reality of a part. All the substance that there is, is only clay. So that's called superimposition. So part is a name and form which is a superimposition upon the substance called the clay, and similarly also every name and form therefore is a superimposition upon a substance. What is the substance? When we ultimately trace the substance to its most fundamental nature, it will turn out to be Sadeva Somya, it will be Sat, existence. Asti is, that's the only truth about a thing. It shines, that's the only truth about it. Asti, Bhati, Priyam, that's the only substance. And every name and form is a superimposition upon that substance. Thus, what we call world, happen, is a superimposition. And similarly, what I call jiva is another superimposition. That I am a limited individual, I am a man, I am a woman, I am a mother, I am a father, I am whatever, happy and happy. All of these are also superimpositions upon the self. What's the nature of self? Shuddha Chaitanyam. It is pure intelligence. That's what I am. The general light, that's what I am. Not a particular light. What is general light? Kutastham. That pure intelligence. Changeless intelligence I am. Unfortunately, that is also what we call the reflected light, Chidabhasa. And that is why there is all this super Chidabhasa, a superimposition. So even at the individual level also a superimposition takes place, taking place, has, you know, it occurs, it obtains, and that is 
सुपर इम्पोजिंग द आइडिया वॉट वी कॉल जीवत्वम और सेंस ऑफ इंडिविजुअलिटी अपॉन द सेल्फ एंड थर्ड सुपर इम्पोजिशन ऑल्सो टेक्स प्लेस दैट इज वॉट वी कॉल ईश्वर और गॉड कोई ईश्वर है ईश्वर इज अ क्रिएटर सस्टेनर डिस्ट्रॉयर ओमनेशंट ओमनी प्रेजेंट ओमनी पॉर्टेंट दैट इज गॉड Now this also is a superimposition again upon the same Brahman, upon the same pure intelligence. Only with reference to the creation, we brand or designate Brahman as creator. That very pure intelligence alone is called creator, sustainer, destroyer, omniscient, omnipotent. When we look upon that pure intelligence of Brahman through the creation, we look upon that as the cause of the creation. If the creation were real, then Brahman would have been a real cause. Since the creation is not real, Brahman is not real cause, and therefore that causality also is a superimposition upon Brahman with reference to effect that is the universe. So the cause is said to be superior to the effect. Cause is it said which pervades the effect. Therefore we call cause as all pervasive. That's how God is called all pervasive, all omniscient. Omnipotent, and that is how Brahman gains another designation that is called Ishvara. Same Brahman or pure intelligence, on account of superimposition, gains three designations. What is the first designation? Jiva, the individual. What is the second designation? Ishvara, the creator. What is the third designation? The Jagat or the universe. Jiva, Jagat, and Ishvara, the individual, the world, and The Creator. All these three really are ideas or the 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 superimpositions upon Brahman, the pure intelligence. This is where we are at the moment. Where do we find ourselves today? In the realm of what we call a dharma or superimposition. So superimposition is there. That you are seeing a snake, where in fact there is a rope. Therefore, a superimposition of the snake has already taken place upon the rope. Why has it taken place? Don't ask me. But what is that snake? Ask me that. And how will you know now the true nature of the snake? By what we call apavada. So, it is necessary to also explain the life as we encounter it right now, or as we perceive it right now. What is our present perception about ourselves? That I am a limited being. What is the present perception about the world? That world is a tangible, real entity, responsible for my happiness and happiness and everything else. What is my perception about God? That He is a creator, a sustainer, a destroyer, omniscient, omnipotent. This is the perception of, li- of life I have at the moment. Adhyaroba is the process of explaining this perception. When the student comes to the teacher, if the teacher right away says everything is mitya, everything is false, nothing is there, you are Brahman, I am not going to be able to understand that. First, explain to me why do I feel the way I feel? I must get out of those problems first. I have a sense of limitation. Why is it so? Why is the world like this? So these questions are there, and therefore it is first necessary to give an explanation to the student. As to why you feel what you feel about yourself, why you see what you see in form of the world, 
and why you feel what you feel about God. This present feelings or present perception of the student also should be explained. It should not be dismissed. If you say that the world is mithya, unreal, the jiva, the individual, unreal, then when the student does not understand that the meaning of those words, then he feels that he is dismissed. Because all that has been giving, that he has been giving reality to his own problems so far, his own sense of individuality has been so real for him. The world also has been so real and concrete and tangible for him. And if all of a sudden the teacher says, there is no problem, The, the, prob- the teacher wants to dismiss the problem. But in fact, when you say there is no problem, the student gets dismissed, understand? When somebody comes to you with a problem, say, what is the problem? What are you talking about? Then that fellow feels, you know, he feels that, look at this, I am a stupid fellow or what? I have a problem. And if, if somebody says there is no problem, then he feels stupid, he feels rejected. So the teacher does not reject the problem. He says, yes, you are right. Yes, you are right. You are born. And that you are an individual. That the world is. And teacher accepts for the time being. Meaning that from the frame of reference of the student, for whom this sense of individuality and the cycle of birth and death and all the pleasure and pain are real, for whom the world is a real tangible entity not knowing how to deal with it, and for whom God is somewhere else, omniscient, omnipotent, but someplace else and doing God knows what. So with this perception the student has come. And the teacher should explain how these perceptions come about, how the creation has come about, how the sense of individuality came about. All of that they explain, and they explain beautifully, so that the student is convinced that yes, that is right. Now I see how the world is created. Now I see how I am a sense, I am an individual self. And then the teacher will proceed to say that what you call the world and what you call the individual self and what you call Ishwara. Now take a close look at each one of them. And the teacher makes a student now. Now the student is resolved. Now he feels that he understood the life properly because he understands how the creation is, how he is. Now his mind is resolved. Then, or settle, then the teacher makes him take a close look at the world, close look at himself, close look at what he considers God. And when that close look is taken, then it is recognized, the, the teacher makes the student see. But look, the sense of individuality is not true. That there are only two, two entities called self and non-self. The self is pure intelligence, cannot be confined to a sense of individuality. The non-self is inert and therefore that also doesn't have a sense of individuality. And therefore this whole ahankara of the sense of individuality. And all then likes and dislikes and pleasure and pain and grief and sadness and whatever, everything that is born of ahankara, all of that really is false, is a superimposition of the mind. The teacher makes the student see that also makes the student see, what is this world? World is, then he says, look, it is made up of five elements. And these five elements are also, they are, they are also born of what? Subtle five elements. 
And all these elements are born of what? Of the foreign element, namely space. Space also is evolved from what? From what we call maya, or objecta and manifest. And that also derives its reality from what? From Brahman. And therefore, this apavada, by process of resolving, the teacher makes the student see how what he appears as tangible world is nothing but Brahman. What appears as a limited individual, samsari, is nothing but the self. And that Ishvara, who appears at the moment, who is taken away, or separate from me, remote from me, is not really remote. So by the process of avada, the teacher ultimately is able to make the student see that the whole duality between Jiva, Jagat and Ishvara, between the self, the world and the Lord, that duality which at the moment is experienced, or which is taken to be real, in fact, that is not there at all. And that is how the student comes to see the truth that is non-dual, that there is only one reality behind the Jiva, Jagat and Ishvara. There is one reality behind what we call the individual, the creation and the Lord. That is called Apavada. Apavada is making the student see what is false as false. So Apavada is that he has been giving reality to what is unreal. Because we have our own criteria of what is called truth. We think that whatever appears before me is truth. I think that whatever is useful is truth. See, we have our own definition of truth. What is truth? What is useful is truth. Therefore we would say that this water in my glass at the moment is true because it is useful. And the water in the mirage is what we call unreal because it is not useful. So we have in our life our own definitions of what is truth and what is false. And therefore the teacher now has to give us a proper insight into what is really truth. That usefulness is not the criterion for truth. That a thing can be, is perceived is not the criterion for truth. That it appears to be tangible is not the criterion for truth. The teacher gives us a criterion of truth. Truth is that which doesn't change. Truth is that which is free from modifications. Truth is that which is ever the same in the past, present and future. And from that criterion, you yourself decide if the world can be classified as truth. And thus we slowly become free from the various conclusions and, and the, the ideas that we have formed within ourselves. That's how the release comes. And thus what we call the apavada is a process of release, is a process of seeing the false as false. And that is how you can see the true as true. Presently, the false is taken to be true. The teacher makes me see that what you can think as true is in fact false. So when I appreciate the false as false, well, then I'll be able to see the true as true. Thus, adhyaropa apavada jnana. By the jnana means method. By the method of adhyaropa and apavada. Jnana means the method here. <coughs> now, therefore, our author of the text, Vedandasara, proceeds in the second chapter to describe what is known as Adhyaropa or superimposition. On the page 20 in the passage, passage 32. Asarpa Bhutayam Rajyau 
సర్పారోపవత వస్తుని అవస్వారోప అధ్యారోప వెరీ బ్యూటిఫుల్ డెఫినేషన్ ఆఫ్ అధ్యారోప ఆర్ సూపర్ ఇంపోజిషన్ అధి ఆరోప ఆరోప ఆల్సో మీన్స్ టు చార్జ్ ఆర్ సూపర్ ఇంపోజ్ అధి ఆరోప వెరీ వెల్ సూపర్ ఇంపోజిషన్ వెరీ వెల్ చార్జింగ్ ఇస్ కాల్ అధ్యారోప ఇట్ ఇస్ ట్రాన్స్లేటెడ్ ఇన్ ఇంగ్లీష్ ఎస్ సూపర్ ఇంపోజిషన్ వాట్ ఇస్ సూపర్ ఇంపోజిషన్ వస్తుని అవస్తు ఆరోప అధ్యారోప దట్స్ డెఫినేషన్ వస్తుని అవస్తు ఆరోప వస్తుని అపాన్ ద రియల్ అవస్తు ఆరోప ద ప్రొజెక్షన్ ఆఫ్ ది అన్రియల్ ద ప్రొజెక్షన్ ఆఫ్ అన్రియల్ అపాన్ ద రియల్ ఇస్ కాల్ అధ్యారోప వస్తు మీన్స్ రియాలిటీ అవస్తు మీన్స్ ఫాల్స్ ఆర్ అన్రియల్ వస్తుని అపాన్ ద రియాలిటీ అవస్తు ఆరోప సో ఆరోప ఆఫ్ ది అవస్తు ది ఇంపోజిషన్ ఆఫ్ ది ఫాల్స్ అపాన్ ద రియల్ ఇస్ కాల్ అధ్యారోప ఆర్ సూపర్ ఇంపోజిషన్ and for that here the example is given asarva bhutayam rajjav standard example of the vedantins rajjav seventh case of rajju upon the rajju or upon the rope and what's the nature of the rope that's also important asarva bhutayam sarva means snake asarva means not snake asarva bhutayam the rope which is not the snake rope which is not a trace of snake that is important asarva bhutayam rajjav if upon a snake looking snake the thing that looks like a snake is a superimposed snake perhaps it's you know suppose somebody has made a snake out of rubber or something like that it's lying there and then you take it it looks like a, you take it to a real snake perhaps you cannot be faulted much but what is lying in front of you is a rope in which there is not even a trace of snake asarva bhutayam rajjau in the rajju of the of the rope in which there is no snake at all in which there is no trace of the snake upon rope such as this superimposition of the the idea of rope is called adhyaropa and we don't say that the snake is not there we will 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 subsequently come to discuss what is the reality of the snake which is superimposed we don't say that the snake is non existent we say that snake has some kind of an existence why is it because it causes fear if the snake were non existent if the snake were not there at all then it would not have caused me fear it i would not have perceived it and it would not have caused in different reaction that it did cause the fact that i perceive the snake and the fact that it creates in me different reactions that shows that i cannot say that the snake is not there but is the snake there i cannot say the snake is there also because when i approach that snake and try to pick it up or try to do something with it i find that there is no snake at all there is only rope 
So this is very interesting and very, very important. This illustration of rope snake may, is a common everyday illustration, but a very important illustration. And this illustration is given merely to enable us to see the phenomenon of superimposition and the reality of what is superimposed. Question that naturally occurs, but Swamiji, when you see a snake where in fact there is a rope, or let us say when you project a snake where there is a rope, but that snake you must have seen in the past. That snake, at least a real snake exists somewhere, which you had seen in the past. And therefore, there were these impressions of those snakes in your mind. And therefore, you projected the snake upon the rope. Similarly, when you say that, we have projected this world of names and forms upon Brahman, does it mean that somewhere there is a real world which you have experienced and which you are not projecting? You see how a person can be distracted with different, with all tangential questions, if you understand what I am saying. That in trying to understand the phenomenon of superimposition of snake upon the rope, person thinks, how come I saw snake and not an elephant there? Upon the rope, you only superimpose a snake, not an elephant. Why is it so? Because the rope looks like a snake. Rope has a curvature, like a snake. Rope has a length, like a snake. Rope has a diameter, like snake. Not only that, so there is adrushim, or similarity between rope and snake. Therefore, that superimposition happens. <coughs> and further also, you should not leave the class in the middle, you know. So, uh, sit as, until the class is not complete. <clears throat> so, we think that the snake is superimposed because there is a similarity between the rope and the snake. Or, we think that the snake is superimposed when somebody all of a sudden leaves the class, it's very disturbing. It is not only disturbing to the students, but it is very disturbing to the teacher. You feel frustrated, you know. You are always talking, somebody just gets up and goes away. So, funny and very frustrating, you know. So, please don't do that kind of a thing. If you feel that you have to leave early, maybe sit at the, near the gate or something so that you can leave. But some people sit right in the front and then get up and go away, you know. <clears throat> they think it is, I don't know, some kind of a thing, but uh, whatever it is. So, coming back to our example of the rope and the snake, that also I may think that the snake is a real snake someplace and therefore when I, I superimpose a snake, which I have seen somewhere, so superimposition can be only of an object which is really there somewhere. Even though this snake is not real, somewhere a real snake is there, which I had perceived, or which I had some scar of impressions in my mind, and therefore the superimposition has taken place. So they try to imagine that when we say that the world is superimposed upon Brahman, that means that somewhere a real world must be there. Like somewhere the real snake must be there, somewhere the real world must be there. Just as I experience a real snake somewhere, I must have experienced a real world somewhere. So, there is no such intention here in this illustration. This illustration is merely to show, and what is the aspect of the illustration that is applicable? Is that, in fact, where there is a rape, rope, there is what we call a superimposition upon of the snake. That's all. Where there is a rope, there is a superimposition of the snake. <coughs> and that's all that we are interested in. How did the snake uh, got superimposed? You know, and so forth and so on. 
are not the questions that can be answered. People have tried to answer and debate. So in Vedanta also, in the Vedanta circles there are debates as to how the snake happened to be there. How did you happen to uh, project snake there? There are vadas or the opinions called khyati vada. Different khyatis or different opinions are there trying to explain how come there was a superimposition of snake upon the rope. But the Vedantins simply say that there is no explanation of why the snake is superimposed upon the rope. You cannot give a reason for it. Because if you give a reason, then the snake becomes real. If you give a reason, then every time the reason is there, the snake must be perceived. But there is no reason at all. It just happens. Anirvachaniya meaning, it is something that is inexplicable, something that cannot be defined, or something for which there is no reason. But the fact remains that we do perceive a snake where there is a rope. It is a matter of our experience. And similarly also, we do perceive a world where in fact there is Brahman. What there is is, Sadeva Somidamagrasi, Ekameva Dvitiyam. There is only Sat, existence of Brahman. Ekameva Dvitiyam, one without a second, that's all there is. And upon that, a superimpose this world of duality, multiplicity, diversity. How can it be? Don't ask how can it be. Ask the question what it is. And similarly also upon the self who is pure, again Brahman. That is the superimposition of what we call the sense of individuality. How can it be? Why should Brahman feel like individual? Why should Brahman be ignorant? How can there be ignorance in Brahman? How can Brahman feel a sense of limitation? Don't ask how or why. That I feel limited. That I feel I am an individual. That I feel that I am only this body. That is a fact. Even though that is, that, that is an experience, even though it is not a fact. And therefore, we have to respect our experiences and try to understand them. <coughs> so this method of Adhyaropa and Apavada, superimposition and what you might call de-superimposition, or what you might call the negation, is a method employed by the Vedantic teachers in order to try to explain our experiences. And when we understand our experiences properly, then we shall be poised to see the reality of what we are experiencing. <coughs> so, asarpa bhutayam rajyau. Rajyau the rope. Asarpa bhutayam, that is not a snake. Meaning, rope in which there is not even a trace of the snake. Upon rope such as this, the superimposition of snake, or it can be anything else. Somebody may superimpose maybe a garland, depending on what he is searching for something, you know. And he may superimpose something else. Somebody might think that it is a, a stick of stick. Somebody may think it is water, a line of water. Somebody may think that it is a garland. What there is, is rope alone. So there also, this also example tells us how one thing can be looked upon differently by different people. It is not that everyone will necessarily superimpose a snake where there is a rope. Someone may even superimpose a garland there. Depends on your imagination. Depends on your state of mind and what's going on in there. Somebody may think that it's a stick. Somebody may think that it's a line of water. Somebody may think it's a crack in the earth. And therefore different people may superimpose different things where in fact there is only rope. So how one rope appears a snake 
as garland, as a stick, as a crack in the earth, as a line of water. How one robe appears in all these diverse forms, so also one Brahman can appear as all these diverse creations. So this also is an illustration of how one can appear as many and as diverse. There is no relationship between a garland and a snake, you know. And still, one fellow superimposes snake, other person superimposes garland, third person superimposes something else. And how therefore one substratum can become, one thing can become the substratum. So that rope is called adhisthanam or substratum. There is a word called adhisthanam. Adhisthanam means substratum. The rope is adhisthanam, substratum. The snake is adhyaropa, superimposition or projection. And for the word adhyaropa, adhyaropa sometimes they use other words also. Like adhyasa. Shankaracharya has used the word adhyasa. And in the introduction of this great text, Brahma Sutra, introducing this text, Brahma Sutra, Shankaracharya has written a fairly elaborate commentary and given an elaborate introduction explaining the phenomenon called adhyasa or superimposition. So adhyasa is the same as adhyaropa. Sometimes they use, they use the word brahma, brahma means delusion. Sometimes they use the word maya. Maya means magic. So maya, brahma, maya means like magic, brahma, delusion. Then adhyaropa, superimposition. Adhyasa also is translated superimposition. Projection, superimposition, delusion, appearance. These are the different words. Creation. These are the different words that are employed for the very same thing. We say that the snake is created. Can you accept that the snake is created? Yes. Snake is created. So Vedantins will say that a snake is created where in fact there is a robe. And therefore, according to the Vedantins, the creation and superimposition are same. What is called dhyarova or superimposition is the same as creation. Therefore, the creation is of the nature of superimposition. To superimpose one thing upon the other is, that is another, another definition of atasmin tadbuddhi, what is not there upon that superimposing what is not there upon a given thing is called project. That alone is called also creation. Therefore, Vedantins will say that creation is nothing but superimposition. There is no real creation. And therefore, every creation is similar to the creation of the snake where there is a robe. Just as, for example, superimposition of what we call the pot upon the clay. Really, this creation of pot also is similar to the creation of snake. Because what is there in front of us is clay. And still we call it a pot. So where is that pot? Pot is simply in my mind a projection. So pot which is name and form is also an adhyaropa or a projection or a creation upon what we call the clay. So really, even though the example is always given that of rope and snake, or mother of pearl and silver, you can also give the example of clay and pot, which will be quite alright, because even a pot also is a superimposition. The only difference is that 
when you throw a torch light at the that object called the snake, the snake completely disappears, and the rope is known. But when you appreciate the pot as clay, then the form of the pot does not disappear. In that sense, the pot creation is somewhat different from the creation that the snake is. But in principle, the creation of pot also is a projection or a dharma superimposition, and the creation of snake also is a superimposition. So, in principle, superimposition alone is creation. The superimposition may be of different kinds, and therefore, again, Vedanta accepts different kinds of superimpositions or different kinds of realities. The ultimate reality is what we call absolute reality, or Brahman, or Sat, or existence, one without a second. Upon there is superimposition of what we call object reality which is equally perceptible and experienced by everyone, which is what we call the creation of God or the superimposition of this world upon the, upon Brahman, which is equally experienced by everyone. That is what we call the Vyavaharika Satta or the objective reality. And upon that, there is yet another superimposition. It is like superimposing a snake upon the rope, superimposing a dream world, these are all what we call subjective realities. Because these things are perceived only by a particular person and not by everyone. <clears throat> so absolute reality, objective reality and subjective reality. Parmarthika satta, vyavaharika satta and pratibhasika satta. So from that standpoint you might say that the snake is Pratibhasika Satta or subjective superimposition and a part is Vyavaharika Satta or an objective superimposition. So the Adhyaropa, the superimposition can be classified by its degree, the objective superimposition and subjective superimposition. What we call the creation of a part is objective superimposition and the creation of the snake is subjective superimposition and from that standpoint, they are objects of different nature. However, in principle, both of them are superimposition. So every creation is of the nature of Adhyaropa or superimposition. Asarva Bhutayam Rajyav Sarva Like there is a projection of snake upon the robe, which is totally different from the snake. Vastuni Avastvaropaha Superimposition of unreal upon the real is called Adhyaropaha. So what is superimposed is always unreal. That upon which the superimposition takes place is real. And therefore, here the commentator explains, what is this vastu? What is the thing which is ultimately, I mean, upon which that takes place? Kalatraya, anapai, atmaya, vastu, shabdartha. Ultimately, that vastu, the reality, turns out to be atma, which, atma, the self, or pure intelligence, which is Kalatraya Anapai, which does not diminish in all the three periods of time. So Vastu means that which remains in all the three periods of time, changeless, and that happens to be self or pure intelligence. And upon that, the superimposition of the sense of individuality or superimposition upon the world is called Adhyaropaha. <coughs> okay.
ಶ್ರೀಗುರುಭ್ಯ 